Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that thou wilt accept the gifts which we bring to thee, and that thou wilt guide that their use may bring honor to thy name, and that thou wilt direct our thoughts to the end that they shall be open to the promptings of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We had a session meeting just before church this morning, and I was amazed at how quickly we came to some unanimity of opinion. Now, I was trying to figure this out while I was sitting here thinking a moment ago, and I've got it all figured out. I said that if, um, uh, if we needed more time, we could have the session meeting this afternoon. And then it dawned on me that the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> would be playing in the Super Bowl this afternoon with the Baltimore Colts, and maybe this prompted great unanimity in a hurry. Last Sunday, we had preach here one of our missionaries, R.K. Robinson. He talked to us about Christian witness overseas. It was not by accident that he read from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And I'm going to read our second lesson from that same great missionary and evangelistic book today. In chapter 8 of the book of Acts, verse 26 following, we read these words. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his sharer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered uh, Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaks the prophet, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Here in this dramatic passage of Scripture, 
we see Christ being brought to the nations. And he is brought to the nations as individuals are touched by the power of his message. First of all, let's think about this man, Philip. Philip was elected to the board of deacons in the city of Jerusalem. His name comes next after the name of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And what a diaconate that was. From that board of deacons there went out flaming evangels for Christ. For every Christian layman was a witness also to every person that he came in contact with about his own faith in the Lord Jesus. And this comes home to us at this missionary season. Are we really concerned just in a perfunctory matter, manner for the cause of mission? Or are we concerned also about missions here at home and the people that we have contact with day after day? Does the person that works in the office by us, do our students, do the friends who meet us, ever hear us say words that will bring honor to God because they show forth the claims and the love of Christ in our own lives? Or do we just hire preachers to do this? Well, it's not the way in the early church to do things in this manner. So here is Philip, this deacon, who has taken so seriously the call of the Christian message that he begins to speak to others regarding faith in the Lord Jesus. Philip, as I've already said, was a Greek. He was a person of broad general sympathies. He could comfortably associate with people like the Samaritans who would have been hated and mistreated by a normal Jew. And so in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, we read about Philip going into Samaria and a great revival comes about as a result of his preaching the love of Christ to the hated Samaritans. And as these people turn to the Lord in great numbers, the church in Jerusalem sends down Peter and John to inquire as to just what's taking place in this huge revival that is broken out in Samaria. And then, right in the midst of such a successful venture, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Philip and tells him to go south to Gaza, to a desert country. And here we see the strange way in which the Lord leads. Here is a man who is plucked up in the midst of a great and successful missionary endeavor, and suddenly taken out to a desert road. I don't mean physically picked up and taken there, or that any person in shining raiment stood beside him, but an inner compulsion of the Holy Spirit directed Philip to go out toward this desert road. It was a sure guidance from God, and so he went. And I think as he walked along that highway, he must have thought, why did the Lord want me out here? Why did I feel so strongly that I should leave the ministry that I had and come here on this deserted road? And then in the blaring noonday sun, he sees the entourage of some notable person in a chariot with people who are going before him and following after him a great retinue of servants and horsemen coming down the road. And so Philip, as any person walking alone on a road like this would have done, 
goes to walk along with this caravan. And as he walks along with the caravan, he comes close to the chariot of the great personage who is thus traveling. And to his great surprise, he hears this man reading out loud in Greek, his own native tongue, reading out loud from the prophet Isaiah. And then it all begins to fit together, this prompting of the Lord that brought Philip to this place. This is what the Lord had in mind, he begins to think. His heart beats quick with joy, for he hears this Ethiopian, this black man, this person of great authority and power, reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now let me say a little bit about this man who had been searching after God. This man had a number of things against him. First of all, he was a eunuch. And because of this physical mutilation, he could not have been a proselyte, that is, a convert to Judaism. But he could be a God-fearer, one who read the scriptures and inquired as to the way of God. At this time, the whole world was uncannily like our world is today. There was a, a spirit of permissiveness, there was a great disintegration. Many things were being broken up. And there were people who were attracted to the austere law of God as communicated to Moses and as it was brought out in the Old Testament scriptures. And somewhere this Ethiopian, this treasurer, over all of his country, had come in contact with some Jew who had told him about Jehovah and who had told him about the Ten Commandments and had told him about the promise that one day a Messiah would come who would lead the people of God and save them. And this Ethiopian was mightily interested because his heart was hungry after God. And Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, his inquiry into religion takes him from his native land some 1,200 miles to the city of Jerusalem. And he had gone there specifically to worship. Do you know anyone today who wants God bad enough to go 1,200 miles to try to worship him and to find him? Well, this Ethiopian did. He sought for God with all of his heart. And so he had gone to Jerusalem. He had gone to the temple. And there in the temple he heard the liturgy being read. Perhaps he talked with the scribes and the Pharisees. And yet there was still something that was missing. The blank in his heart was a God-shaped blank and it was not being filled. Maybe he walked along the streets of Jerusalem and he saw one of those fishermen who had followed Jesus standing on a preach corner, uh, a street corner preaching about Jesus of Nazareth. And maybe he stopped and listened and said, I wonder if it's so. I wonder if it's really true that God has become man in the person of this Jesus of Nazareth. Doubtless he heard about him. He thought, oh, if someone could only help me find God. 
And so he leaves Jerusalem at the end of his pilgrimage to return again home. And here is where we picked up the story. Now, how does this apply to us? If we intend to witness for our faith in Jesus Christ, we must understand and believe that the gospel is needed by all men and is open to all men. First of all, there is no racial barrier here. Philip was not concerned that this Ethiopian had blue-black skin. It didn't bother him a bit. He had no trouble in coming close to him for uh, any racial barrier. Next, Philip knew that this man needed the saving gospel which he, Philip, knew. You remember when Apollo 13 went up? After it had gone out on its historic voyage, suddenly Jim Lovell's voice was heard saying these words, Houston, Houston, we've got a problem. And what a problem it was. One of the oxygen tanks had ruptured and this space crew was faced with imminent death. It was strange how the whole world rallied around them. Even the Soviet Union contacted representatives of our government and asked where it might position its fleet in order to be helpful. People all over the world began to pray for these three brave men stranded in outer space. I myself was over at Appalachian Hall, the psychiatric hospital, the afternoon that the men came down. I saw a great number of patients, all absorbed in what was coming over the television set and how they broke out in joy and laughter and happiness when those parachutes blossomed down and the men were back safe. And when at last they were back safe, one of those astronauts said, the people of the world prayed for us. And I believe that God heard their prayers. Now, if we pray enough for the physical safety of these men, why have we lost our sense of urgency in praying for men and women who will go out into a Christless eternity without a knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior or Lord? This is one of the reasons that we send missionaries the love of Christ constrains us to do so. We are not doing our friend a favor when we do not tell him about Jesus. We may be inflicting upon him the most disastrous thing that could ever come upon his whole life, and we are responsible to communicate that gospel to others. The gospel must be understood by the witness, and he must believe that other people need it. Now, the church has become distracted today. We are greatly concerned about ecology. We are greatly concerned about the race problem. We are greatly concerned about nuclear warfare. And this soaks up a great amount of our energy and our time. I remember at one meeting of the General Assembly uh, that I attended, one layman from Bryson City got up when a great discussion was being uh, launched on uh, the advisability of of setting up a missile system to defend the United States against possible Soviet attack. 
And this ruling elder from Bryson City got up and said, I never thought that I would find as many nuclear scientists in the clergy as I've seen here. You're all experts on nuclear warfare. And what he was saying was a rebuke. What's wrong with us anyway? The reason we have a race problem, the reason we have an international problem, the reason even that nature has been misused by us is that man is in rebellion against God. And this has caused it. And Jesus Christ has brought the answer to that. I cut out of Newsweek magazine several years ago from the uh, medicine section an article speaking about the way in which the field of medicine has become sort of a super specialty now. You have to have a doctor for your right eye and a doctor for your left eye almost. Um, and uh, they, they were illustrating how sometimes this led to a misunderstanding of disease and problem. And the article tells that a certain medical center where charity patients were brought, three different specialists were brought in separately to examine one patient. The first specialist who came in was a psychiatrist, and this story is true. And he noted that this person was listless and evidently depressed, and that the person, person's head was bowed and the movements were slow. And so he wrote up his report that this patient was undoubtedly suffering from some type of nervous breakdown and that his, uh, diagnosis, his, this was his diagnosis and that the treatment would be the usual run of energizers, pills to pep up and, and other forms of therapy. Another man was brought in to look. He was a dermatologist, a specialist at skin, and he noticed that the skin was all shriveled and wrinkled. And his diagnosis was that this patient was suffering from some skin disease. And then an internal meta, a gastroenterologist, a man who studies the internal workings of our body came in and he looked at the patient and noticed that the patient was suffering from some chronic uh, diarrhea. And so he wrote it up in his report that this was some uh, uh, gastrological difficulty. And so after these, these separate reports had all been written up, they called an old country doctor in, a general practitioner, and he looked at the patient. He noticed that the patient was depressed. He noticed that the patient had dermatitis, something wrong with the skin. He talked to the patient and heard the complaints about the diarrhea, so he remembered the three Ds from his practice. And he said, why, well, this patient is suffering from pellagra. None of the three specialists had found it out. Each one wanted to treat the patient for one particular symptom but the deadly deficiency was there. Now then, this is the same way we're going at the problems of the world. We want to treat the world for nuclear warfare and treat it for, for race problems and treat it for ecological problems. And we need to, uh, to do certain forms of treatment here. But the basic problem is rebellion against God. It's sin and the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And the new creation is the answer to that. And so Philip, Philip comes close to this chariot, hearing this man reading, and he couldn't have read a better passage than the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, all about the suffering Savior. And as he read this passage of Scripture, 
and the King James is very blunt in its translation here, but uh, the subtlety of the uh, original is, is quite beautiful. Uh, Philip came over and he, he said something like this. He said, reading something is not always understanding it, is it, good sir? The man was reading it out loud. That was the custom then, to read things out loud. And the fellow turned to Philip and he said, how can I understand it unless someone should explain it to me? And then he invited Philip to come into his chariot. It took a lot of boldness for Philip to come over to such a rich person. He was probably not a person of any means himself. And yet he saw that this person was hungry for God. And that delicate sense of kindness and sensitivity worked its wonder. And Philip came and sat in the chariot by this man. And it says he opened his mouth and preached unto him Jesus. My, we open our mouths for a lot of things. We open our mouths to eat. We open our mouths to criticize. We open our mouths to talk about everything in the world. But he opened his mouth and preached unto him Jesus. He talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget reading in Scotland how one merchant had gone on a trip to Scotland and, and he came back to England. And one of his friends asked him, what's the news from Scotland? And he said, oh, the, the news from Scotland is good news. And he said, what do you mean? This was in the year 1650. He said, I went to Irvine in Scotland. And he said, there I heard a bearded, proper old man who spoke about the law of God and showed me all the needs of my heart. And then he said, I went to the little village of Anworth, little tiny Scottish village, and there he heard the saintly Samuel Rutherford, and he said, and he showed me all the loveliness of Christ. And so Philip began at this point, and he preached unto this man Jesus. I wonder if you saw Gary Utley the other night on the NBC television program that lasted for two hours in which he talked about the colonies of little hippie groups around the country that have gone on what he called a Jesus kick, that were hungry for Jesus, who were singing and shouting his praises and his name, who were not high on drugs or high on sex or demonstrating or protesting, but we're simply meeting to talk about Jesus. Maybe this ought to tell the church something, that we're not talking enough about the Lord Jesus. Philip began at this point and preached unto him Jesus. He showed him how that the Lord Jesus fulfilled all that Isaiah had prophesied, and that how that indeed he had suffered upon a cross for a purpose, to pay the price for our sins. And when he had done this, this man's heart found all of his needs met. And he said simply to, to Philip, with his one little book in the Bible, just Isaiah, what, what doth hinder me to be baptized? If you seek me with all your heart, says God, you will find me. God prepared his servant and sent him there. The other night I went into Asheville to hear this Pastor Vermbrand. 
this man who spent 14 years in prison in Romania because of his teaching and preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He described the tortures through which the communists had caused Christian people to undergo. He told of the underground church. He said the other day two Jews were threatened as with a firing squad in Russia. And the whole world rose up to speak about these two Jews who might be killed. But he said millions of Christians have suffered and are suffering now. And who's speaking for them? And then he began to describe the hideous tortures through which he passed. How he ever came out with any semblance of sanity, I'll never, never know. And he asked us this question, do you ever pray for those who suffer for Christ behind the Iron Curtain? And then he told us about Russian soldiers that he had met who were hungry to know about Jesus Christ. He said that he had been in, in places where he would be surrounded by Russian soldiers who would be asking him about Jesus. And he would take a Bible and begin to tear a page out of the Bible and give it to each one of them because he had no Bibles to give and the communists do not permit Bibles to be printed and distributed. And he said they were so happy just for a page from the Word of God. This Ethiopian someplace had bought him a copy of, of the book of Isaiah and he studied it diligently and God spoke to him. And do you know what Pastor Vermbrand said? He said that he had given to one man a page out of the book of Jeremiah. That's all he could give him. He had, he had torn a page out of the Bible, and it happened to be a page from Jeremiah, and he gave it to this communist soldier. And later he said that this communist soldier had come back to him for another conversation, and the man had become a Christian. And do you know how he became a Christian? He said that he read carefully this page torn from the book of Jeremiah, this precious piece of the scriptures. And he said he thought, who is Jeremiah? What a strange name. He thought, I've never heard of the name of Jeremiah. I never read it in the Soviet papers. Surely he must be a very insignificant, unimportant person. And then he read it again, and it said, God spoke to Jeremiah. And then he thought, well, if God would speak to a nobody like this fellow Jeremiah, maybe he will speak to me. So he said, God, if you will speak to this Jeremiah, will you speak to Stephan? And God spoke to him. And he went back to Pastor Vermbrand and got instruction and he became a Christian. There are people in the world who are hungry and thirsty for the gospel. When I go on a trip, I sometimes load my suitcases down with books and magazines to read. Here is this man on his trip reading from the book of Isaiah. How much do we really read the Bible with all of our translations? and our easy accessibility to it. How much do we study about our faith in Christ? And how much do we practice it? This is worth thinking about. Well, the man said, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And Philip said, if you do believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. And this man said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And here the Baptist have got it. They both went down in the water. It's plain. This may have been the form of baptism at this point. 
And the man came up out of the water rejoicing into a newness of life. He had made his confession of faith in Jesus Christ. He had believed in his heart that he was the Son of God and the Lord of his life. Do you see the effect of this Christian witness? How he understood the gospel and the need of other people for that gospel? How he leaned on the Holy Spirit? How he handled the word of God? And how he led that man to faith in Jesus Christ? You know, there are many things that you can give other people in life. You can give them help in time of sickness and trouble. You can give them money to assist them. You can get them a job someplace. You can write a letter of recommendation for them. But the greatest gift you could ever bring to another person would be what this deacon, Philip, brought to this Ethiopian government official of faith in Jesus Christ. I had walked life's way with an easy tread that followed where comforts and pleasures led until one day in a quiet place I met the master face to face. I had reared my castles and built them high till their domes touched the blue of the sky. I had sworn to rule with an iron mace when I met my master face to face. I met him and knew him and blushed to see that his eyes filled with pity were fixed on me. I faltered and fell at his feet that day and my castles melted and vanished away. They melted and vanished and in their place naught else could I see but my master's face. And I cried aloud, Oh, make me meet to follow the steps of thy wounded feet. My care is now for the souls of men. I've lost my life to find it again. Ere since one day, in a quiet place, I met the Master face to face. Let us stand in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we bless thee for the privilege of knowing Jesus. We thank thee for him as he is presented to us in the pages of the gospel. And we thank thee for him as we see him in the lives of those who love him and serve him day by day. We thank thee that his saving love is for all the people of the world, not just for America, not just for Western Europe, but for all the people of all the world, every kindred and tongue and tribe and people. Therefore, help us to come to a deeper knowledge of him and his way of salvation and a deeper sense of urgency and determination and desire in promoting the gospel cause throughout the world and here at home. Help us to learn to win the affection and friendship of others by showing them that love of Jesus and help us to be so sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit that we may communicate unto them faith in him. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore.